0: You're listening to The Seaworthy Podcast, Episode 5, Bootstrapping Your Startup. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today we're talking about the process, benefits, and challenges of bootstrapping your startup with Ben Bartling of ZoomShift. right, we've got
1: Ben Bartling here with us from Zoom Shift today. Thanks a lot for coming over, Ben. Yeah, glad to be here. Awesome. Man. Let's just dive in right away. Um, I was hoping just to kick things off, if you could give a little background for the few people in the audience who don't know who you already are. Just a little history on Ben.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, I started Zoom Shift about, about five years ago now. Started it out of school, actually, when I was at uh, Marquette University. And um, it's an employee scheduling software solution. So if you think about like restaurants or retail outlets, um, the managers have a, a real difficulty scheduling their employees, making sure they show up for, for work on time, and then tracking the time when they're actually there. Um, so ZoomShift provides the manager a platform to build the schedule online, track their budget, manage time off requests, kind of all that stuff around uh, the employee and then the employee has mobile apps where they can get their schedule, trade shifts with other employees, change availability requests, and then even punch in and out of shifts. Um, so it kind of simplifies that whole employee management process. Uh, so yeah, I started that about five years ago and um, kind of went through some interesting ups and downs with the company, but it's been bootstrapped to date and it's been a fun and so far successful ride.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd love to talk more about the fact that you guys bootstrapped because I think that's a really interesting choice. I guess. Well, first, was it kind of a conscious choice, or have you considered taking investment along the way, or what was what what's the story there?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, initially it wasn't a conscious choice. It's something we kind of grew into and came to realize was our our I guess style and, and the type of company we wanted to build. But initially, I took the company through. An accelerator program. It's actually called 94 Labs. It's no longer around. Um, took on a small seed round, and then about uh, three months after taking on that round, the angel backing that ended up filing bankruptcy. Um, he was a, a high-frequency trader, and so it, as quickly as he made his his money, he lost it all in like a couple wow. of months, in great fashion. Um, so. We kind of raised some money and then actually never got it. So we got to see what it felt like to go through that process um, and kind of understand the ups and downs a little bit deeper as opposed to just... Well, mainly the downs. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Actually. It's
1: like we're out of money, but yeah. we didn't get it <laughs> Yeah, <here. laughs> like,
0: like what are we, funded or not? I mean, no one really knew. Um, so at that point, instead of going back out and starting that whole process again, We put the company on hold and actually started an agency um, more or less to kind of just get us through that point in time. The agency did pretty well, and we saw it as a great way to self-fund ourselves, Um, and that's kind of how the bootstrapped mentality started.
1: Okay, so the agency, Tailwind Creative, correct? Yep. That was only born out of kind of desperation i guess uh, the the focus what you knew the, was always going to be on zoom shift
0: yeah well so um the focus was always going to be on a product okay that was always the goal was to come back to a product and build something that had sustainable recurring revenue like zoom um we weren't completely sure it was going to be zoom at that point because it was still so young got it um but yeah so i started the agency with my now business partner, John Hainstock, um, and he was actually the uh, marketing director for the Accelerator. So we were kind of both in the same position where the Accelerator was kind of going down, Zoom lost its funding, so we were both, okay, what do we do now? So we joined forces, started the agency, um, and then John eventually came on to Zoom, and now we're we're partners in that as well. Um, Yeah. Awesome, man.
1: Yeah. So what was, why Zoom shift? Why this problem? What was attractive to you about it? And how'd you end up there?
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of something I always had in the back of my mind. In high school, I worked as um, like a kitchen staff in a restaurant. So I saw firsthand the problem with scheduling, Mm -hmm. mainly from the employee side, but also from the manager side. Um, And then when I really got into development and saw the power of building a SaaS company and knew that's what I wanted to do, the idea just kind of was still there. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna try this one, tried it first. And it always stuck just enough to like never go away. You know, like there were times it was like, oh, is this like really what I should be doing? Like I'm not, is so incredibly passionate about scheduling. It's not like that cool of an idea, you know, you can't really, it's not, I guess it's not like sexy you'd call it. but...
1: Debatable. Yeah.
0: But, <laughs> <laughs> but p- people wanted it and would pay for it, so...
1: Yeah, so how How did you figure out that it was something people wanted? What did you do early on to kind of validate and vet the idea?
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's funny. I wish I had a better story for that. And I, you know, I, I did the whole customer validation thing and, and knew before I wrote even any lines of code that it was validated and people would pay for it. Uh, I think I started the company just before the lean startup methodology and all that was kind of becoming more mainstream. So when I started, I, w- I saw the company as much as a way to build like a portfolio for myself and like hone my development skills is I did, let's build this, this company that can hopefully be profitable. Um, so I had kind of an MVP and then started showing it to people with nothing to lose, I guess you'd kind of say. And right. it was like, oh, there's actually something here. And then from there, started to validate, these are the things that are important to the customer. These are the things they'll pay for. And then this is how much they'll actually pay. And from there, you could you could see like, oh, there's actually a business model here. The, the numbers work out.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How long did it take you to go from... Those first few lines of code to something to paying customer.
0: Um, man, that's a good question. Probably eight months, maybe.
1: Okay. Yeah. And you're in the accelerator during the, at the start of that, or was it somewhere in the middle?
0: Yeah, so I was in started working on Zoom. A couple months later, got into the accelerator. Okay. Went through the accelerator, and then it was like, is that was wrapping up. Starting to get those first few paying customers.
1: Yeah. Got it. How helpful was the accelerator in you know the success of the in the early stages of the company?
0: Yeah, um, it was good. You know, I don't, I don't think it was one of those things where like the curriculum or the structure of the accelerator was what was valuable to me. Is more, it was more just that the connection into the community and the realization that there's like really something here and there's a business that can be built around it. You know, Um, I initially went to school for finance. So like had a totally different um, view on things, I guess you'd say, and was a self-taught developer. So getting to the point where I was like confident enough like the product I built had legs. Um, that was a big part of the the accelerator process, I guess. Okay. Yeah. To be honest, like some of this stuff is, uh, it's like five years ago isn't that long, but it's long enough that it's like, wait, what actually happened? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I only ask because um, our whole goal with this podcast is just to mitigate the risk of failure for entrepreneurs going on for the first time. So, I mean, it's something a lot of people struggle with. You know, should I raise mm-hmm. capital? Should I go through an accelerator? Um, yeah, I mean, those are big choices. You're giving away a piece of your company for, for each of those things. And,
0: yeah, um, definitely. But
1: yeah, so it's interesting to hear your perspective on it. And by the way, yeah, what happened? So you, the investor backed out, so they didn't have any stake in the company. The accelerator shut down, so I imagine they didn't take, or they didn't end up with a, a piece of yeah zoom or anything
0: yeah so it was a really unique situation um the angel who invested in us also was the backer of the accelerator okay so it's kind of we lost like the accelerator lost funding we lost funding it was kind of all tied into one um and so we got a small chunk of money initially when we signed uh that first round and so he had a small piece of equity, and then that sat for about a year when we did the agency and kind of put the company on hold. And then as Zoom started to just continue to grow slowly, John and I realized, like, hey, there's something here. We approached the investor at that point and said, we want to buy back the small amount of equity you have. Um, so we were able to do so really early on at a really good price. So okay, totally clean on paper, 100% bootstrapped. It's just the two of us.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. That's yeah. That's an interesting. It is. It, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's that's something
0: that is lucky. Like we just you yeah. can't you can't plan for that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. Um, so what's what's been one of the big hurdles for you guys being bootstrapped? Obviously, um, you know you don't have money to spend on marketing things like that. Um, but aside from maybe the obvious stuff, what have been some of the bigger challenges from from trying to bootstrap?
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's the hardest thing for the two of us has been like the the mental toll of starting a company from scratch and um, being like working on it for five years, right? In the first three, three and a half, even four years are just they're they're a grind. Like it's it's a it took us a long time before we saw traction, traction to the point where we were, like, comfortable continuing to put the same amount of time into it, you know? Right. Um, so constantly reevaluating, being like, are we making the right move here? Like, should we should we scratch this, pivot to a different product? Should we try to put more emphasis on the agency? And so it's just that more, like, internalization of everything and, and constantly having to remind yourself to separate, like, your personal life and um, the... F- success or failure of the company from yourself right yeah yeah it's, it was it's a lot of just emotional stuff with it
1: yeah not for the the faint of heart to bootstrap <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah i mean i think it's you just like learn it as you go but yeah, yeah definitely you got to be ready to, to strap in i guess if you if you will
1: <laughs> to bootstrap in yeah yeah no that's really interesting um what what did you entertain investment at all? Any, any other times, or have people approached you saying, "Hey, I'd like to, you know, buy or <laughs> invest in Zoom"?
0: Or? Yeah. Um. So throughout the whole life lifespan of the company, there's been we've been approached at all stages of it, and it's interesting. It's for us, it's always never been the right fit, um, and you know, we never actively pursued anything. It was always people reaching out to us, so that that says something, too, that maybe just wasn't a fit because we weren't looking necessarily. But all the people who did approach us, it was either we're an accelerator looking for seed and we want to bring you into our program, and it's like, yeah, we did that, we're done with that, like we don't want to do that. Or we're VC, we're looking for someone with a mill and rev this amount of growth rate. Like, where are you guys at? You know, and they're always, like, Mm -hmm. probing and trying to track you so that they can kind of get you in at the right point. And for John and I, I was like, we're in between. Like, there's, like, is there nothing in between? And we always felt, too, We just this gut instinct about a lot of the VCs was that, like, well, when we're at a mill, we're not going to, like, why would we don't really need to take your money at those terms anymore? Yeah. Yeah. so and now, as we've kind of grown and gotten more comfortable, we've we feel that way even more. I think you know, it's like, it's a totally different situation.
1: Yeah. Do you think if you had taken that initial capital, you would feel the need to continue to get the next round and the next round, like kind of the traditional trajectory of?
0: Yeah, for sure. Actually, I think in John, and I I think John would say the same thing. If we had, if uh, our initial angel hadn't backed out. I don't think I think Zoom would have just failed and it wouldn't be around to this day because we would have been locked into the investment path. We would have had to meet certain goals, um, and I don't think having that money would have necessarily expedited the path of the company. Mm-hmm. And so, based on you know the amount of time it took us to kind of get our footing and start to see growth, I, I think it would have it would have expired. You mm-hmm. know. Um, and if not, yeah, if we would have made it work in a shorter amount of time having funding, um, then yeah, we would have been just round after round, I feel.
1: Yeah. Have the pressure to keep hitting that next level of growth.
0: And we definitely have competitors in our space that like, that's the path they took Mm -hmm. and you know, they're super successful and it's cool. There's definitely not a right way to do it. Just like totally different companies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious, are people you typically transitioning from a competing product or are they moving on to a system in the first place?
0: Yeah, I mean up until a year ago, it was no one was transitioning from an existing. We were We were just like a newer idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so people were transitioning from paper or Excel or maybe Google Docs, but nothing specific to, actually, like, employee scheduling. And then more recently, yeah, we started to see, like, hey, we use XYZ, or, like, we use this older legacy system. Now we're looking for something new, and we're, like, reevaluating. So that's really cool to see that then we're, we're coming up top, and people are actually choosing our solution over others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, what, what are some of the new problems that you're facing now as you're in, you know, year five, you've got a pretty strong product at this point. I mean, I keep tabs on just your website every couple months and you guys continue to release like big features all the time with such a small team. Um, that sounds like, you know, you're at a point where you feel like you've kind of found product market fit. Mm -hmm. Um, so what are some of the other things you're struggling with now that aren't, you know, just... Getting features built and stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think so. We were talking about this actually just over lunch before this, but I think it's relative uh, right now. Is that initially, you know, a lot was on product, like how do we build this product? How do we how do we get something that people like and has product market fit and then can grow? And it was like cool. We have that. Like we have a base. Now we need more leads. Like we just need more people coming in top of the funnel that we can convert to paying. And it was like, now that we're seeing that and we have a really strong top of funnel and that's continuing to climb, now we're starting to see like, oh, shoot, our funnel's leaking. Like we have enough data and we have enough people coming in to know that the, the way our conversion rate is fluctuating just isn't right. And so now our biggest problem is, okay, how do we focus on onboarding? How do we make the customer happy from free trial sign up to, you know, the, the lifetime? Right. Um, so that's... That's the battle now and the main focus. And then always just churn. Like, how do we reduce our churn rate? And it's, I think, our space and in the nature of our product and the amount of buy-in that's needed to use it. Churn is is relatively low, um, but that's always something that you just, we keep a pretty close eye on and always want to make sure it stays as low as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's all about just kind of moving the metrics in terms of yeah yeah moving just
0: a little bit at a time you know there's no there's no easy wins no silver bullets so
1: yeah yeah that's interesting what are some of the things that you're doing right now to well one find the the holes and two i guess what what does it take usually to patch them up it's it's not a new feature so you know what kind of stuff is it
0: yeah so i mean the first thing is just having like the analytics in place to know where they are um so we use kissmetrics mixpanel full story like the you know there's so many analytics tools out there now i think uh like segment io right like mm-hmm. it's so cool you go like it's, it's like, awesome to have it in place as a developer mm-hmm. but you go on there and you like every week you sign on it's like there's like three more tools it's yeah like, <laughs> it's so easy to just blow your uh like SaaS budget yeah like like the 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 tools we use, you know, the monthly spend we put into tools, just, like, it's so easy to just, like, turn one on. <laughs> and, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Our
1: revenue is growing exponentially, but our expenses yeah. are, too. Yeah, it's like, you oh, you forgot, you forgot for to your... turn
0: that one off? <laughs> Shoot. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, if you don't mind, I'd love to talk a little bit more in depth about some of those because, yeah, yeah. I mean, our whole goal with this is, like, actionable takeaways for people building products. So, like, could you unpack... You know, I think Segment is a really cool tool that you just mentioned. Super valuable. And then yep. Full Story
0: yep, as yes. well. Yep, Full Story. Um, we actually use Mixpanel and Kissmetrics, which a lot of people just use one. We, I don't know, we, we use them differently, and they kind of have their strong suits, so... Okay,
1: and that's just kind of for general analytics and event tracking and...
0: Yep, event tracking. So that's where we'll find, in terms of onboarding and then just, like, conversion in general that's where we track all our funnels and see where okay. where people are getting stalled, like what's running smoothly in the quote unquote, like holes we need to patch. Okay. And then that's how we measure if we actually patch them or not.
1: Okay. And then full story you use for, I mean, do you typically, <laughs> I think you can, they can find like people rage clicking and stuff like that. And like, yeah. it to attention Or do you just kind of just like browse through or,
0: uh, yeah. yeah. To be, so like we kind of use it in waves. Um, it's good for two things for us right now. One is onboarding, so like you can just go through and say, "Here's all my signups today," or like my new users this week. Okay,
1: and this is a tool that, um, just to give a little background, yeah, like it records sure. user sessions, so you can actually see them people actually using your product. So no like sound or anything, um, but you can see where they're clicking and it just replays their mouse and everything on the screen, so you can see what kind of experience they're having. Yeah, Yo. in your product
0: yeah so from an onboarding perspective you can click in and watch those those new trials and see where they got hung up um so that's totally not scalable like we don't even come close to watching every one but it's mm-hmm. interesting to go through it every once in a while and just watch because where Mixpanel panel and kiss are going to show you the point they got hung up they're not going to show you like maybe why Right. You know, like they just like missed the button or they were like rage clicking on something else that yeah. like wasn't even a button. You know, just like weird stuff that's like, oh, I can see maybe yeah, that would be confusing.
1: Right.
0: Um, so that and then from a support perspective. So if someone, you know, has, has a question about something and they're like, this isn't working. If it's not a bug, it's like, well, like, what are they doing? Like, it's really oh, so you hard to actually
1: go see all oh, this customer's session at 3 p.m. when we got the support ticket, yep, and see exactly what they're running into before they yep. sent it, yeah,
0: exactly. So then you just have way more context and can help that customer quicker, yeah, yeah. And so then all our um, full story sessions pipe directly into intercom, okay, which is the tool we use for customer chat, and then customer support in general. Okay, awesome. And then we also use Intercom for, like, life cycle engagement emails. So from the point a customer signs up to, like, throughout the entire life cycle of that customer, we send them timed or, like, event-driven emails to help them, you know, like, learn the product and then stay hooked on the product.
1: Yeah, awesome. And then you use Segment as kind of the single... Interface to tie all these services together, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's something that's really valuable um, for people who are, are maybe aren't committing fully to a certain platform. Yep. Like you can just use Segment, and then you can uh, it gives you a dashboard, and you can enable the services you want. So if you're doing event tracking, you don't have to commit to just Google Analytics or Kissmetrics or whatever it is, and implement their client-specific code in your application. You just implement Segment and then you can enable or disable things as as you need. So it gives you a lot of flexibility um, with the third-party tools that you use. Um, awesome, man. Any other like third-party tools that you guys are using right now that you get a ton of value from?
0: Yeah. Um, so we use Heroku okay. for all of our servers, um, which has been great. I think... Being a rail shop, that was a natural tool to choose. But now it's, like, it's great for almost any language and platform. Yeah. Um, but being, we're just not DevOps guys at all, right? Uh-huh. That's, like, the last thing I want to worry about. Um, and so having a managed solution like Heroku there is great. And then uh, we use New Relic for all our, like, performance monitoring. Okay. Um, there's, like, probably 20 other ones. Yeah. You know, like, your typical, like... SendGrid and that kind of thing, and Mailchimp, but those there's probably a bunch I'm forgetting that I should mention. But
1: yeah, no, that's yeah. good. <laughs> no thanks a lot. So with your experience bootstrapping ZoomShift, but also having the context of kind of uh, um, you know raising funding, you know, what would kind of be the tipping point for you to decide whether to seek investment or try to bootstrap? You know, say I'm coming to you for advice, what kind of characteristics would you say i need personally and for my business for it to be the right choice for me to to bootstrap
0: yeah i mean i think that's a really good question and i really i don't think there's a right answer to it um i think it depends on so many factors even just including like the personality and, and like style of the the founder um the business model existing competition um i I guess i would phrase it more like if you're going into it thinking which one should i do just try bootstrapping first because you can't really go backwards like we did but you can't plan (laughs) to do that this is a total accidental thing yeah um yeah try it first and see how far you can make it i mean you don't if it's not feeling right, don't just like keep pounding on it and, and drive yourself crazy. Then, if you think funding's right and you talk to other people and they maybe they don't agree with you, but you still think it's right, then go for it. But yeah, I think I think you learn a lot when you approach it from that mindset too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like when you bootstrap, you the way you need to grow your company is way different than if you're funded. Um, like for example, when we were like (laughs) fake funded or whatever you want to call it, we had to jump from basically zero to like, you know, a significant amount of customers and looking at that was just like, Oh my gosh, like I had to shoot, like better get to work. Like, I don't know (laughs) how we're going to do this, you know? Um, when you're not funded, you're looking at it and it's like, Oh cool. Like we get to a hundred customers, like all of a sudden I can pay. A salary. I can like pay myself, um, which is totally more digestible than the massive number to like start to pay, pay back investors or like hit um, enough growth to like even talk about a second round. Right. Um, so sometimes when you're starting out, I think it's easier to have that mentality of just like the very incremental steps as opposed to just like the, the massive one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so final question. What advice would you have or just kinda of like key takeaways um for people who are going down the the bootstrapping path versus taking investment?
0: Yeah, um I think just like having patience and and understanding that it's not gonna happen overnight. Like I think all the stories we hear about and all the companies that to get most of the press there are just anomalies, right? Like that's not what you're trying to build you're trying to build sustainable recurring growth at Mm -hmm. least hopefully that's what you're trying to build um and then just like be super cognizant of you're not your company and like the success or failure of your company is not you and separating yourself from it and just keeping a balance outside of it you know like i don't it's something John and I talk about all the time that, you know, putting in thirty to forty hours a week is what you should be doing and you're probably gonna be more productive than doing that and doing it well and you know, in focus and then having a balance as opposed to grinding eighty hours a week. Like it takes a really different person to actually be able to do that and do it productively. I don't think that's necessarily the right approach. So yeah. I would say those two are, were, the, were the biggest for me personally. So. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for your time, and uh, thanks for sharing the Zoom Shift story with us today. Uh, if people want to keep tabs on, on you or in the company, where should they do that?
0: Oh, uh, just ZoomShift.com. Yeah. And
1: Twitter or anything, you active on the... Um,
0: on the, yeah the we're
1: social networks there we're yeah. active
0: on the the web are, are you personally <laughs> uh i am yeah i actually uh, not really actually to be honest, i'm not a huge social guy okay but i'm there
1: you're not gonna throw out your handle though uh, just, for people to follow you
0: they they, they can follow the zoom wall. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not that exciting I'll, I'll be completely honest like just be a disappointment all right yeah well thanks a lot uh and i'm chris schmitz at cc schmitz on twitter